In today's show, we have Michael Devilano. Michael is the author of the book Automate and Grow, which is about building digital products and scaling your business. And we're going to talk about how technology is driving change in Salesforce and digital products. If you're ready to learn how technology is driving business innovation in Cincinnati and beyond, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Join us for interviews and discussions with business leaders, innovators, and visionaries. With our host, Sam Schutte, CEO of Unstoppable Software. This is Unstoppable Talk. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sam. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your company, how you got that started, uh, how you sort of got into this field. Yeah, sure. Uh, So probably about 10 years ago, I'd started a company really around building everyone's digital product. So at that time, as you probably recall, you know, iPhone was fairly new in about 2010. Uh, prior to that, I'd been working in the wireless carrier space. And what I was doing there was like what's now known as IoT. So, you know, in those days, we kind of call it a whole bunch of different things all the time. But it was really like stitching stuff together so that you could have mobile field workers. You could have, you know, sometimes it was fleet tracking. Sometimes it was field service automation. Sometimes it was enterprise data coming from outside to inside. So I had a background in really, you know, building what those in those days was digital products. But when iPhone came out, it was like such a different model. It was obvious that that was so much more empowering. And suddenly everybody in the universe had an idea for an app. And in the end, that's a digital product. So since then, mm-hmm. you know, I was out there building everyone's digital products so they could launch a company or, or some sort of a venture. Sometimes it was a side hustle. Sometimes it was enterprise. Uh, what I noticed is, you know, there was obviously a real gap between what I knew and what most people knew. So um, when I wrote Automate and Grow, it was really how I think about, number one, what digital products to build and then how to do it, and then how to scale that business through you know, marketing, sales, and customer success automation. And that's really where I landed on. So to this day, that's pretty much what I work with clients on. It's like figuring out what digital products to build and then how to build them and actually building them, and then helping them figure out a game plan around scaling through marketing, sales, and support automation. Gotcha. And, and you're located in California, is that right? I'm now in California. So in those days, I've moved around a little bit. The last 10 years have been a little crazy. But in those days, I moved from Canada, basically, to California. Okay. So you wrapped up a lot of these ideas, and you put them into your book, Automate and Grow. Yeah. Which is available on Amazon, of course. How did you decide how to... How, talk a little bit about that process, you know, developing the that book and how did you write that what did that process look like oh the actual book itself was interesting so i mean i've always had um i always wanted to write a book and i actually wrote a book prior to this on sales that i never published and in those days there wasn't really the amazon infrastructure to Mm self-publish so i don't even know where that book is it's buried somewhere (laughs) so then i had this other thing in my head around well this is my blueprint for you know the next 10 15 years of how to build scalable, impactful businesses. And everyone's been talking about um, digital transformation. So you have businesses that have processes and data locked up in old systems. So it was like, okay, I have this idea and I hit this thing around my birthday. And I was like, all right, my gift to myself is going to be, I'm going to write this book for the next 30 days. (laughs) So what I did is I basically, in addition to whatever else I was doing, I I mapped out a plan. So the first thing I did is I, I created like an outline of the ideas, but almost like chapters. 
that essentially became chapters and then ideas under them. And then I said, look, for 30 days, I'm going to write five pages a day. And at the end of that, I'll have like 150 pages. And, you know, that should be decent for a little book. Uh, but what I didn't think about was formatting. So <clears throat> when you format 150 pages, let's say, you know, from Word or from Apple Pages, it's actually a 260 page book. So suddenly I realized, oh, I have something real here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weighty tome, you know? Yeah. So really, I end up writing it in about 45 days. And actually, somewhere out there, I did a video on that. But that was the that was the writing part. But the really painful part comes when you go to edit it. Yeah. Actually, the writing was not that easy. Some days it was really tough to write five pages. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just jumped around within the framework. So that's really how I got to the point where I had like something editable. Um, I made a point of not trying to judge what I wrote. I just tried to get it out and get volume out so that I had really something worth editing, you know, and then it was like the editing process. Like I use an external editor and I mean, I've edited it so many times and still think it needs another edit. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, so that's what I did. At the same time, I learned about the self-publishing infrastructure on Amazon and, and figured out, you know, got a, got a book cover design um, and then used that to basically get it out into the world. Gotcha. And I think it's it's very uh, important what you talked about, you know, companies having a plan and something that's really impactful uh, when they're building a the product. Can you talk a little bit about uh, maybe, you know, a customer you worked with that really helped you gain clarity on the importance of that, uh, that sort of is influential in your sort of thinking? Um, I mean, I think what I've seen is, you know, I've been involved in well over 150 custom development projects the last 10 years. And the one thing I see is, you know, let's say it's an entrepreneur. A lot of times they'll build, we'll build something for them and then they don't do anything with it mm -hmm. or we'll build something and they haven't really validated it to a customer. Um, so they've, you know, they have an idea in their head. It's something they might use or they think there's a big problem and then they think they, there's an approach to it. So what I saw was a lot of mistakes there where, you know, you would build something, you try to advise them, mm, this maybe is too complicated or I don't know if there's actually a market for it. And they would never really listen. And then it was just like hit and miss whether it would be successful. So what I wanted to do is try to like at least give a framework to people that are thinking, oh, I have an app idea or I have an e-commerce plan or, you know, some sort of digital product um, or a SaaS platform, right? A lot of SaaS platforms the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So really what I say is, you know, prototype it quickly. And that can be just get the screens design, um, you know, get get a designer, UI, UX, map out the features that you think are out there and then get the screens design and then go to your audience and validate it. Like, say, look, this is what I'm building. Would you put some money down to buy them <laughs> <laughs> or would you use it? And a lot of people will say, yeah, I would use it, but then they don't use it. <laughs> so I think getting people to put some money on it makes sense, right? So that really what I, I map out is here's the thought process that you here's to go from idea to app essentially. So that's 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 the first part of the book. Interesting. So and I run into that a lot with our cust well, with some of our customers that are in that startup um, sort of basket, you know, where they they often will say, we're just gonna go out and get an amount of money and then we're gonna come to you and we're gonna say, all right, we're gonna build this. But of course they don't, you know, say, well, hang on, how much are you gonna to try to get? How much are you trying to raise? I mean, you have no idea what you need. And so it's interesting you talk about prototyping because I think that's important to sort of right size what you're building out for what you're trying to fund at that point in time. And so do you find that that's a more successful model for folks that they are, you know, maybe they're just trying to go out and fund a proof of concept and then from there they fund an, uh, an alpha version? Yeah, um, totally. Totally. I, so I think most projects, you know, what I try to articulate is, look, this is how 
whether it's software as a service, mobile apps, or anything else, this is the process you go through to build it. And the lowest cost, easiest way to start is get the UI built, which is the user interface. Okay. So imagine, okay, what are the features you're thinking of? Let's get those out in words. Let's think of what the user experience is, like all the different roles, and then get a designer to actually make those screens, whether it's a software as a service or uh, an app. And then, you know, you can, it's pretty easy from there just to stitch it together without building too much infrastructure. So you can actually walk around and say, hey, this is how it's going to work and find early adopters. And then I think you got to get money down on the, <laughs> on the yeah. table, right? <laughs> I agree with that, too, because I think that's that can be such a differentiator. You know, money or some real signed letter of intent, maybe um, that you can say, look, I've got, you know, I'm not sitting here saying, give us the money, we'll build it and then we'll figure out how to sell it, which is what 99% of what everybody does, right? It's look, I have customers, they've paid something. I mean, especially, I mean, I, I have known startups that get enough people to pay that up front, you know, get a couple hundred thousand, they don't need investors, right? Um, yeah, and that's where you see, um, you know, it's like a pseudo Kickstarter, or maybe it is yep, a consumer yep. app and you can use Kickstarter, right? I think that that gives a little bit of validation to once this is built, it's not in vain. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helpful. So yeah, that's, that's around digital products. And then really the same thing is to have a game plan around marketing, sales, and support. So maybe mm -hmm. it's an existing business. And what they're looking at is, hey, I have a, let's look at today. Or like We're in the middle of this global pandemic around coronavirus, right? And there's major problem because there's a lot of businesses that are just totally shut down. And the ones that are shut down are mostly like the worst hit. They are based on physical products or services. They're based on people's time. Yeah. Yep. Whereas digital products can scale without people's time typically. So usually digital products are one of three types, right? It's like maybe it's completely digital and you don't need people involved at all. Or maybe it's taking a traditional service or a hard product and it's giving it a new method of distribution or delivery or ordering. Or it's just a tool to enable people that are doing a physical job or service. So usually it falls in one of those. And the further you are towards the fully digital, like you're going to be less impacted by what's going on out there that prevents people from working in a physical world, right? So I think it's a really good time for people to think about how would I take what's going on in my industry and solve that problem that I'm doing today with a physical service or a physical location, how would I do this digitally? Yeah. And this is a methodology you can do that. Let's take a quick break. This podcast is sponsored by Unstoppable Software, a Cincinnati-based technology consulting firm. At Unstoppable Software, we bolt on to your company's team and accelerate their ability to deliver custom software development projects. With our deep experience in manufacturing, engineering, and healthcare, we can tailor systems for process improvement, data analytics, machine learning, and document workflow. So they become a user-friendly, perfect fit for your employees and the way they want to work. To learn more about how we make our clients unstoppable, visit us at unstoppablesoftware.com or call us at 513-382-8499. And now, back to Unstoppable Talk. A friend of mine was saying on Facebook, he's a business owner and, and kind of innovative in what he does. And you know, he was saying he thinks that all of this sort of like disruptive change is happening is going to cause 
people to invent new solutions for these problems that when we come out the other side, you know, the business market will have changed. You know, even if it does go, even if it does go back to sort of normal, we won't have, I mean, you look at, for instance, a great example I read today is all the food delivery services, Grubhub, these guys, um, they are not really being used that much is what I heard now, because they typically take about 30% of the sale. And in this market, they cannot afford to give up 30% when they're, when they're struggling. So they're inventing their own, you know? So first of all, every restaurant now, suddenly delivery is the method of, of staying alive, right? Yeah. Yep. And, but if they're coughing up 30 points, plus they're still paying physical rent somewhere, yep. Yep. Um, it's a challenge. So I can totally see, number one, there's going to be a lot of restaurants that don't come back from this. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of restaurant guys that will make two choi- one of two choices. One will be, how do I leverage this model and just go straight up mobile? Because the yep. physical yep. thing is what sunk me. The physical CapEx, the physical rent, whereas I could have been in an industrial park, have a great brand out there digitally, and people order from me and I deliver it. I can also see where there's going to be models in the food delivery scenario where there are common kitchens like why wouldn't you have in an industrial area certified by the health board a common kitchen that has lets different brands operate out of it it's almost like the we work model for food brands yeah Yeah, absolutely and then there should be you know i think what these guys are realizing is they need to build their customer list and that's where it goes to well, okay, once you have that digital delivery part, what are you doing around your list? And then how are you engaging and building immersive marketing that's automated? And then yeah, how are yeah. you selling to these guys, which, you know, the app is a, is enabling them, but instead of using Grubhub and all these guys, I can see where food brands are going to want their own customer list and people ordering directly from them. So that'll be the challenge to them. And there are solutions out there. Actually, I advise a company called Smooth Commerce. And Smooth Commerce is built basically a back-end platform where any restaurant brand, they'll build the app for them, and it has their own order ahead, and then their own option for delivery, curbside, whatever, can go through that app, and it has their own loyalty and CRM built into it. So it's like, I can see where coming out of the other side of this, restaurants are going to be totally different. Well, and I think, you know, they... In fairness, I mean, I think not to to be critical of restaurants and their different, you know, struggling time here, but... A lot of them have are operating or had been operating a very 1950s model, right? Yeah. Um, and some of them had said, "Hey, okay, we're going to do a Facebook page. We're going to maybe we're going to do a Grubhub thing," but not a whole lot of innovation. Tough, in right? Like there, when you're in a low margin business, yeah. and your constraints are labor, capex, like all the equipment that you're buying or leasing, and then rent, what, and then food costs. Like you're the you're eating after all that, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas what does a model look like when you have less expensive or shared to deli- like, you know, preparation facilities, and then you own the delivery piece, like giving up 30 points ain't going to work, right? You should be yep, giving yep. up three points just for the process, the transaction, and then something for the delivery. So I think that's why I think to your point, like people, it's a very demanding business with that's romantic. <laughs> so that yep, dining yep. experience and you know, they tend to be, there's an element of art there. And it's not that you want to destroy that. You got to think of how do, how do these restaurateurs that create such a great food experience, create such a great in, um, in dining experience, how would they take that and think in a different way? And I think it's probably going to be, well, it might be older restaurateurs, but definitely the younger restaurateurs, and there's a lot of them out there need to start thinking in these terms. And that's just one market, obviously, but I think it's a good example because they're going to be the most under stress now. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm curious too because you know, as an example, like there's a there's a big brewery scene here in Cincinnati, and one of the local breweries has been doing something neat, which is they're going instead of asking people to come and pick up stuff from them or even saying, "Hey, order it and we'll deliver it." They're just driving a truck out to a residential neighborhood and parking and saying, "Hey, we're here," right? And then you know you can go there. So I could see all kinds of you know apps and stuff to support that. But one common problem I see with the folks have is that an app like that, if you imagine, say, hey, I'm going to build an app that all the breweries in town can, we can crowdsource like the best neighborhoods to park in or something, right? You know, you need a lot of data for that. And it's great to sit here and say, hey, I built this app. It does it, but it's got an empty database. How do, how do companies, you know, how can they sort of get over that hump of, you know, whether you're doing like a machine learning product or something when they don't have the data yet, how do they go around that? Well, I think the reality is it's, you know, what's the data? Really, it's customer data. And mm-hmm. that's where you get into marketing, sales, and support automation. So what you want to do is obviously you think about who's my ideal client, who who's going to buy my beer, where are they physically, I think. And then you can use, as you probably know, that's where you come up with a traffic and conversion plan. So mm-hmm. now you've got this, fine, you've got a digital product, but then you've got to get into marketing, sales, and support. So you go, in that model, my marketing is... I got to let people know that we have this new model and there might be issues around beer, but <laughs> um, I guess you'd have to figure that out. But, you know, you, you build community, I would say, using, for example, Facebook, which can let you really geo-target. You have a game plan to reach, you know, first of all, target that ideal customer by demographics. Uh, don't necessarily sell to them, but get them into your funnel, so to speak. And the funnel for that might be a community talking about beer. It might be then to download the app and place an order. It might be a gift, whatever you can do to fill that database, which is really your marketing automation. And it's really like, okay, target your ideal client where they're at. You know, they're probably using Instagram. They're probably using um, Facebook. They're possibly using things like Snap and Twitter or whatever. But I think it's probably those first ones, right? Mm-hmm. And then Build your data from that because you can do that really inexpensively. You can get them into messenger bots. You can get them to opt in and download your app or to opt in and get on your list, especially if you're doing, you know, I think if someone's creative, they're going, hey, I'm going to do pop-ups. I'm going to leverage temporary physical space or I'm going to leverage something else that where I can do this or parties. And then you get people to opt in. You do event-driven business, but that's how you're building your list, I think. I think that's really where you're getting people into your system. And then it, then it's just a matter of you know taking that new model and scaling it. So it's like find find your ideal client, attract them on the platform you're in, and then give them some sort of offer to get them into your database. Makes sense. What would you say, uh, I guess just to close here, what are the three main things that if, if folks want to, if they want to get help from you uh, with their, you know, building out their product plans and automating their, their business, what are the three main things that they should reach uh, out to you for help with oh, and sure. how can they reach you? How can they find you? Yeah. So I think any business that's thinking about not just digital product development, and I would classify that as software as a service, e-commerce apps, chatbots. you know, feel free to connect with me at robot at automate grow.biz. Um, and I have various other handles out there, but that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me or find me on LinkedIn. Or if they're, if you're thinking of, or a bot technology around marketing automation, sales automation. So like, for example, I'm a Salesforce partner. Uh, we've helped people that have HubSpot. We've helped people that have you know custom platforms, but generally marketing, sales, and support automation on the Salesforce platform or HubSpot 
are two of the bigger platforms where you're creating a game plan and then automating it. And then I think the the other easy way to get a hold of me other than email is um, just again LinkedIn. So it's just my ID is M Devilano D E V E L L A N O. So just M Devilano on, on LinkedIn, you'll find me, or Michael Devilano on LinkedIn. And then the other thing I'm gonna I, I've started is something called Founders Pack. So if you're thinking you have an idea and you want to be part of a big community of um, other founders that either have ideas or existing businesses and, and they're, they're following this model, founderspack.io. Okay. Um, and you can send me an email there as well, or just join at Founders Pack. And uh, we're starting, we had an event that <laughs> was supposed to go on Wednesday. And the plan is once the world gets back to normal is that there'll be events in LA area, San Diego, San Francisco, Austin, Nashville, Denver, and New York. And actually Miami, we have a partner in Miami where there'll be like monthly meetup events for people that want to pitch their, give their one minute pitch and get feedback and find allies and form alliances Awesome. with other founders. Very cool. Yeah. So founderspack.io. Correct. Check out his LinkedIn page and I'll, I'll include a lot of links to this, all those links in the uh, episode description. And thanks, Sam. Yeah. Thanks so much, Michael, for coming on the show and talking a little bit uh, with me about automating digital products and what you do. And uh, I hope that you all stay safe out there in California and uh, that we sort of get through this and you can launch your your meetups and stuff more easily here in the near future. So thank you again for coming on. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Talk. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, be sure to support the show by leaving a five-star review on iTunes and learn more about this show by heading over to unstoppablesoftware.com. Until next time, keep innovating.